You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating. I'm your host, Rachel Heinemann, licensed mental health counselor. Each week, we explore the deeper meaning of our relationship with food and our body. I interview experts in the field of eating disorders and psychoanalysis to bring you the answers about why you do the things you do and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. All right, let's get started. Welcome to Understanding Disordered Eating, Episode 8. In today's solo episode, I wanted to talk to you about a study that's often quoted when talking about the effects of restriction in eating disorders. The study was conducted by Ansel Keys, who's a professor of physiology at the University of Minnesota. And during the Second World War, he was a consultant to the War Department. He wanted to study the effects of starvation, most significantly for those who were in the war, and how to provide post-war rehabilitation. We call this study the Minnesota Starvation Experiment, or the Minnesota Semi-Starvation Experiment. What Keith did was put out an ad for people who were war objectors, so able-bodied men who didn't want to participate in war for whatever religious or moral reason. And they wanted to give back in another way. So over 400 people applied and out of those 400 people, only 36 were selected. Now, as the experiment went on, only 32 made it through. But even so, we're talking about a pretty small sample size. So just putting it out there that although this is a study that we cite all the time, it is something to keep in mind that a study should have a pretty large sample size and 32 is kind of small. But I still think that the information we learned from the study is significant and important. So let's set the scene. The experiment was divided into three stages. So there was the initial period, the semi-starvation period, and then the rehabilitation period. The initial period was three months long. The men were well-fed. We're not going to talk about specific calorie count here. It's not super significant, but they were well-fed, had lots of energy, engaged in lots of activities. They took university classes. These were all highly educated people, all of whom graduated from college and some of whom were already in their graduate work. So I guess we can say kind of normal. Then the semi-starvation period began. This stage lasted for six months and their intake was cut almost in half. The last stage, the rehabilitation period, lasted for three months and participants were randomly assigned to one of four different energy intake groups. So they're refeeding gradually, but in different ways. So one of four ways. During the experiment, the men lived in a dorm at the University of Minnesota. They slept all in the same room, showered basically in the same place with almost no privacy. There were very few windows. Some of them even described it as a cage. So Take what you will from this information. They were expected to walk about 22 miles a week and burn a significant amount of calories per day. And when I say the significance of this piece is that they were expected to burn more calories than they were 
eating during the semi-starvation period. This whole time, their body weight, size, strength levels were all being monitored. There were x-rays and blood samples, metabolic studies, just to make sure that they had all of the information. Each participant was expected to keep a personal journal so we can get more of their thoughts. While I give some of this information over, I will be quoting some of the participants' encounters, and this can be either from the original study or from a follow-up study that was done about 57 years later. 19 of the 36 were alive, and they interviewed 18 just to see where they were 57 years later. During the first three months, they all reported to be really active. They eat their meals together, pretty good moods, and then things shifted. So during the six months of semi-starvation, they were supposed to lose about two and a half pounds per week until 25% of their body weight was lost. This is a huge number. They would talk about how the emotions would run so high in the cafeteria when one person got more food versus somebody else got less food, which was adjusted each week based on how much weight they were losing. And so they did this in forms of pieces of bread. So if you were losing, I guess, a quote, good amount of weight, they might give you more bread. And if you weren't losing enough, they would give you less. The participants talk about how that really messed them up. Every Friday night, they posted what your rations are for the next week. And some of them would say that they would just leave, go to the movies to kind of put it off because they didn't want to find out. They didn't want to find out that their rations would be cut. They had a buddy system that was to make sure that everyone was in track because remember 32 came out on the other side. What happened to four of them? They started out with 36. Well, a couple of them broke their diet, ordered their milkshake, whatever it was, they weren't quote useful to the study anymore. But the buddy system proved to be pretty helpful because at a certain point, some of the participants were so weak, they couldn't even push doors open. Now, just to kind of organize for you a little bit more about some of the effects that the starvation had over this six-month semi-starvation period, I'm going to break it down into different categories. So there were a lot of physical changes. There were psychological changes, behaviors related to food, attitudes related to food, and social changes. So a whole lot was going on here. Now, some of the physical changes that the participants reported was that they had less energy, they had trouble sleeping, or they just didn't feel like sleeping, like they were less tired. They reported dizziness, headaches, hypersensitivity to noise and light, getting cold, even though some of the experiment ran well into the summer. And some of the participants were asking for blankets. There was hair loss a lot of gastro discomfort, edema, which is swelling. So lots of physical changes. Now, the psychological changes included increased mood fluctuation, very irritable, low libido, decreased enthusiasm, reduced motivation and impaired concentration. So people like didn't feel like doing their classes. They had a hard time with problem solving and comprehension. And they had pretty intense and negative emotional reactions. 
Now, behaviors related to food. This one is a pretty interesting one because a lot of them had no interest in food before the study, but during the starvation period, they became obsessed with food. So they would collect cookbooks. There was one participant who reported having over a hundred at the end of the study. They would collect recipes and talk about food. There was a whole lot of binge eating going on. They started to have these like unusual food behaviors, like cutting their food up really small in order to make sure that it looked more or that it took longer to eat. Some of them went through garbage or resorted to stealing food. One participant recalled the frustration that he felt. He was always thinking about food. This is what he said. I don't know many other things in my life that I looked forward to being over with any more than this experiment. And it wasn't so much because of the physical discomfort, but because it made food the most important thing in one's life. Food became the one central and only thing really in one's life. And life is pretty dull if that's the only thing. I mean, if you went to a movie, you weren't particularly interested in the love scenes, but you noticed every time they ate and what they ate. Another participant says, I can tell you the sex drive disappeared. There was none. And yet another recalled that the most poignant moment for him in this experiment was related to an emotional reaction he had. This is his recount. I was walking along with my buddy. It was deep into the semi-starvation and we were tired. We would look for driveways when we got to a cross street so we wouldn't have to walk up one step to get from the road to the sidewalk. And so we could walk in the gutter for a while looking for a driveway. We were tired and weak. And so we were standing at a corner waiting for a light or something. And a kid came along on a bicycle. He was really moving, pumping away. And I looked at him and said, wow, look at that boy. He's really whizzing. And then I said to myself, I know where he's going. He's going home for supper. And I'm not. And then for a very brief, uh, I hope it was very brief moment, he says, I suddenly hated the boy. I hate at this point to tell you this because it doesn't speak very well for me. But I remember with horror that I could feel such a thing. So utterly irrational, but there it was. And you ask an experiment that I remember, I sure remember that. That was rough. At a certain point during the experiment, the press got a hold of what's happening. One quote in the Minneapolis Star Journal, which I found quite interesting, was one of the men was walking past the bakery and was so tempted by the rich odors wafting from the place that he rushed in and bought a dozen donuts. He gave them to children in the street and watched with relish as they ate them. Now, this kind of really points to the attitudes related to food and how they have shifted for these participants. They were preoccupied with food. I mean, they basically couldn't think about anything else. They felt anxious about mealtimes. They felt anxious about the food rations on Friday night. And the last piece is the social changes that 
they became really introverted and became much more critical of others than before. Now, obviously, this experiment demonstrates that starvation has a dramatic effect on the body and on the mind and affects basically all of our functioning, emotional, personality changes, physical, food and eating related behaviors, social, sexual, I mean, everything. Let's talk about refeeding for a second. The last three months was a period of refeeding where all the participants were put into one of four categories. Each category was a different intake level. So they would start out with a smaller amount of food and then build up because their bodies were not able to handle a large amount of food right in the beginning. Ironically, some of the participants actually lost more weight when their body was given more food. And this was mostly a result of losing all that excess edema fluid. So like the swelling went down. One of the participants actually said of the rehabilitation period that it wasn't any better than the semi-starvation period because there wasn't a noticeable relief from the feelings of hunger immediately. They still felt dizzy. They still felt lethargic. Their loss of sex drive, weakness were really slow to improve. One participant said that he only noticed when he started to feel better was when his sense of humor finally came back, which means that it wasn't there for almost a year. None of the participants remember being provided with the detailed instructions for what they are supposed to do after, but they were told, just don't overeat on day one. One participant remembers being taken to the hospital to have his stomach pumped because he just, quote, simply overdid it. A lot of the participants also reported eating excessively after they left Minnesota. And one in particular described it as a year-long cavity that needed to be filled. Like they couldn't satiate their hunger. Many of them put on, put on a substantial weight and in very different ways than their body was before. Maybe they had lost muscle and they gained back what they had called, quote, flab. The recovery period took up to two years. Now, going back to the study that was done 57 years later, none of them reported any negative long-term health effects from participating in this study. Now, let's talk about the implications that this study might have for somebody struggling with an eating disorder. If you're familiar with the specifics of someone's internal struggle and battle with an eating disorder, a lot of this sounds very familiar. I mean, thinking about being obsessed with recipes and cookbooks, how many people all of a sudden are really interested in baking and cooking, especially for other people, if they're not going to eat it, when they didn't really have that much interest before? Talk about feeling tired. You're not getting enough energy. And the obsessions. You think about it all the time and you can't think about anything else. Nothing else is important. There's the loss of sex drive, loss of sense of humor, your personality changes. In pretty severe cases, some people are really cold all the time. Now, if we think about this as the effects of starvation, as opposed to an intricate and complicated mess that's related to an eating disorder, 
we can simplify the treatment for this particular piece as well, we just have to engage in the refeeding process, which of course, what has been started by Ansel Keys and continued with all eating disorder treatment is that it has to be done slowly because it's really dangerous when we just kind of like throw someone in to eating a lot more than they're used to. But if there aren't any long-term complications from this starvation, then again, really simply put, it's a matter of refeeding. Now, obviously I understand that it's so much easier said than done, and it's not exactly an easy process, but it is a simple one. What I find significant here is that the participants were not given no food during the semi-starvation period. They were eating what might look like an adequate diet on the outside because they were young, healthy men who were required to do a tremendous amount of physical activity that wasn't enough. And so you can see someone who seems to be eating. They might be what appears to be in a healthy weight range. They can still be experiencing symptoms of starvation. Now, by learning about the effects of starvation, we can avoid attributing all of these symptoms to some other causes that aren't connected to just a significant calorie deficit. Now, just a couple more notes. Something that seems pretty apparent is this biological pressure for a person to look for food. Our body wants to maintain a certain body weight in order to maintain homeostasis. And it's going to do whatever it possibly can to keep it there. If we threaten the body with starvation, it's going to do whatever it can. It's going to stop all other functioning. It's going to make us weak and tired and cold in order to maintain the functions that are necessary for us to stay alive and to search for food. So that means that the only thing that we're going to be able to be thinking about is getting more food. This is an idea based in evolution and biology, which kind of leads me to my next point. The idea of willpower is such a load. I mean, we're talking about a very simple biological process of the body trying to get its energy. And the body is not easily altered if you just simply use willpower. It also demonstrates that the body isn't just simply reprogrammed at a lower set point weight once you lose weight. So what I mean to say is that next time when we talk about all this mental game of your relationship with food and body and weight loss and and pursuing health, let's first look at, are you actually getting enough food? Is your body in some sort of semi-starvation? And if it is, then we can't talk about anything else before we address this piece. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. If you enjoyed today's episode and you know someone who may as well, please share it. Not only does it help us reach more people, it really makes my day to know that this show is making a difference. All right, talk next time.